Salt Lab Radio is brought to you by Silver Sea Cruises. With more than a thousand destinations over seven continents, including exclusive culinary adventures on the all-new Silver Moon, Silver Sea travels deeper. Hey, it's Adam. We traveled to record this episode last January before COVID-19 became a global pandemic. As we remain at home, we're thinking of our friends all around the world. And in the spirit of future travels, we're excited to share these stories. Yes, I grew up in Palermo. I left when I was 18, saying behind myself that I would never come back. (laughs) The last words. Casavecchia was a ruin, the garden was non-existent, it was a desert, basically, there was nothing. I can show you a picture. Um, And my mother started all the big trees, you see it's my mother who started them. It takes a lot of work, so there's a lot of suffering behind these lands. That's Fabrizia Lanza, and we're at Casavecchia. Built in 1830, Casavecchia, translation, the old house, occupies an idyllic corner of Regaliali, the Tosca family's 540-hectare estate. It's pretty much what I think about when I think about paradise. Lush trees bearing magnificent fruit, vegetables of Susian sizes and shapes sprouting from the ground, and a legendary kitchen where classic Sicilian recipes are taught and fed to lucky, hungry travelers like us. We were introduced to Fabrizia in the last episode, where she talked about her extraordinary noble family and how eating stirs their emotions. Fabrizia, by the way, inherited the title Marquesa Lanza di Mazzarino from her mother, Anna Tasca Lanza. Food has been always extremely important in our family. So food has been a, a great tool to put us together around the table, to quarrel, to love each other. Remember, we were just about to eat some pasta with her first cousin, winemaker Alberto Tasca, and he kind of called her out. Of course, the cannolo that we produce here is much better than compared to the cannolo that she produced, <laughs> but it's, I mean, she will improve. The food rivalry between Alberto and Fabrizia, that's all in good fun. When it comes to Sicilian food, Fabrizia is a known authority. She's written three books about Sicilian cuisine, with a fourth on the way, and she's made two films about the island's food culture. At Casa Vecchia, Fabrizia runs two initiatives. The Food Heritage Association supports scholarship, investigation, and creativity as it relates to Sicilian food. And Ana Tosca Lanza is the cooking school started by and named for her jet-setting iconoclastic mother. It's all spread out across a warren of low stone buildings and bountiful gardens. Fabrizia greets us there, trailed by her insistent dachshund, Machia. Machia, you can't go in. No, Machia. No, Machia. Um, Machia. We walk amongst the Inula and the Artemisia, the Bergamot and the Citron, the Figs and the Pistachio, the Lavender and the Quinoto, the Persimmons and the Loquats and the Mulberry trees, the botanical sum of her mother's legacy. Fabrizia is 59. She wears sunglasses, a silk scarf, a workman's coat, indigo chambray pants with wide bottoms, rugged dirt-flecked boots. Fabrizia's white hair moves with the breeze. She exudes strength and soulfulness, life of the party vibes, wisdom, curiosity, and openness. It's immediately clear that we're about to get to know a host and a teacher like no other. Welcome aboard and welcome back to Sicily, 
This is Salt Lab Radio. Tell me a little bit about more about how did your mother go from someone who didn't need to cook to opening a cooking school? Well, my mother was extremely glamorous. She was beautiful. She was extremely elegant. She was wonderful, I must say. Um, very Sicilian with this long nose and, and beautiful brown eyes, dark hair and had a very intense social life until her 40s. Lots of drinking. And then she started being a little bit uh, sick, hangover, feeling the hangover. And, um, and also, as I said before, a little bit demotivated, probably because I left, so she didn't know exactly what to do. And then she met America. That was a big encounter for her because really? she changed enormously from the glamorous uh, space babe with lots of flirts, uh, super successful. I mean, in a big crowd, she would be the one telling stories and jokes and, and being provo provocative. She discovered a world where uh, people were interested in what you had to offer. Hmm. Not just where, who no, you were. No, exactly. And um, she discovered a world where people were interested in a lady in her late 40s, which, as I said, in Italy, you're already rubbish. <laughs> uh, she discovered a country very, very generous in offering opportunity for somebody who had ne never really worked right. and uh, had to offer something uh, as simple as her own background, her life, her story which she loved, but she had never thought it would have been a matter of interest, a subject right. of interest. So she, and this, I, I discovered this traveling in the States and going to visit her friends when she passed away. Uh, I discovered a different person. It's a person that is grounded, knows what she wants, is exactly what she is. And she f found that and, and was able to become that through, as you're saying, through her own story, through her background, yeah. through the, the culinary sort of heritage that she had that would never have struck her here as a, as a valuable thing to, yes, to bring think, to the world? Or? I don't think just the culinary heritage. I think a very solid family, uh, a very uh, simple way of looking at things and loving things. And um, she didn't study my mother. She didn't go to school. And she missed that enormously. And that, I think, uh, gave her somehow more chances than if she had uh, a lot of books in her brain because uh, she was very direct. She liked it or she didn't like it. She, she, uh, she fought for things she believed in and it was very immediate. So she was incredibly lucky to do this without caring a damn shit of what was going to happen. Right. Because it was, it was her place, her home. She was opening her, opening her home. If people would come, it, would, it was fantastic. She was happy to share. If people would understand good, if they wouldn't, no. You know, that makes a big yeah. difference. Also, my grandfather made the wine in the same way. And that makes a big difference if you don't have to follow the market. It gives you a freedom unbelievable. They could be themselves or follow, yes. follow their real interests and, and beliefs and things. Yeah, yeah. They, she could go on and what she liked and, and, and she was lucky that what she liked 
encountered a big wave of interest and, and that was good. Anatas Galanza opened the cooking school here in 1989. Like her mother, Fabrizia pulls people towards her. The crowd gathers around her to hear stories, to learn recipes. Fabrizia shares with ease, like any great storyteller. Well, my mother was a very active woman, and um, she married my father, and she had a life, a pleasant life. But, and then I, I was born, and I'm an only child, and then I left, and she felt very, she had to do something of her, with herself, and uh, she was very intelligent, very capable, very handy. She used to knit, do wonderful sweaters, then she did book binding. She did a lot of stuff with her hands. And then a friend of hers, uh, Lorenza Stucchi, who owned a cooking school you've heard maybe about, uh, quite famous at the time, in Coltibuono in Tuscany. They make wine, they make olive oil. It's a beautiful monastery. Still there. She's not doing it anymore, but she suggested, she said to my mother, why don't you do the same stuff here? I mean, my family was really keen on food, exceptionally keen on food. My grandfather had a chef, uh, this famous Mario you probably heard about, and Monsou, and um, Monsou comes from the word monsieur. Think of the Monsou style of cooking as a mashup of French formality and heaviness with daily access to Sicilian and Southern Italian pantries. It owes its existence to a brief period of French rule in southern Italy in the early 19th century. Even after the French defeat, this hybrid style of cooking continued on in the staffed kitchens of aristocratic families. The Tosca family is said to have had the last Monsu. My grandfather had uh, this chef, Mario, who uh, had come in the house when he was uh, 15, 16, as a wash disher. And he was serving uh, the previous chef, who was called Giovannino Messina, who had been the chef of my grandfather's father, Il Cavaliere Lucio. And uh, I interviewed Mario because obviously I was very interested in him. Obviously, uh, this knowledge was oral. Nobody would write nothing. And uh, in fact, Mario would tell me that uh, every time he would help Giovannino on a recipe, at the clue moment, Giovannino would send him out to buy the cigarettes. <laughs> so that uh, Mario wouldn't grasp the exact wouldn't secret. Get exactly, yeah. uh, and he, Mario, did exactly the same with the following. Really? Yes, it was compulsive. We have his recipes. Of course, they need a big update because, uh, I mean, this cuisine, as I said, was extremely heavy. Sure. So lots of eggs, lots of butter, lots of everything. And uh, I remember when we used to come with my mother here in Regaliali and stay with my grandfather, after a week of eating here, both my mother and I would go back home <laughs> crippled and, and kind of say, oh, we can't do this anymore. And I've often questioned myself, how the, how the hell could he... My grandfather died in his bed quite peacefully and he lived until up at his 80s. And he ate three times a day, drank a whole bottle of wine. I mean, honestly, and you know what was the secret? 
no stress. Really? Yes, that makes a lot of sense. I see. Yeah. I see. Because if you eat and then you have to rush somewhere, rush another way, you wake up in the morning and you have thousands of thoughts and things to do, the food goes the wrong way. Right, right. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> he had... He had, this was his day. He woke up in the morning around 8.39. He had his breakfast in the room. He had a few biscuits and coffee and milk. Then he got dressed. He took a bath and, and all of this. And then he, he went out. And then he had his big car. He put his gloves on. He would go around the property and check, this is okay, this is okay. Then he would go back home. He would sit with my grandmother and look at her and say, what are we going to eat for today? Mario <laughs> would come in, would say, I got the arancia from Giuseppe, the chickens from here. And, huh? He said, okay, we go for that. Then he would sit at the table. He would eat 72 grams of pasta weighed because he couldn't gain uh, nothing, uh, a pound. So he decided that was the number. 70, yeah. 72. It was uh, pesate, eh? mi raccomando, pesate, he would say to Mario. So I weigh it. <laughs> Drink a bottle of wine, a boy, little nap. Then maybe he had a studio, he wrote his diary, he listened to music. Uh, and and that was it. And then it was time for dinner. And then again, the cuisine of uh, Casa Tasca was considered one of the cuisi great cuisines in Sicily. It was known. Si. Okay. Foreigners, people who come. Casa Tasca is the, the family, Tasca family. Tasca family. My grandparents' uh, household was considered uh, one of the most uh, interesting places to be, to eat. Yes, for sure. And that came from, from their passions, from their interest of their... Yes, they were extremely social. My yeah. mother, my grandmother was a great beauty. My grandfather was very charming. He went rising with, uh, before he started working, which was very late in his age. Uh, he was racing cars. Uh, he was um, right. I mean, it was a society very wealthy and very spoiled. Sure. And so um, there were several houses where people that would have a social life, a big social life in Palermo, not hundreds. And not everyone had a good cuisine. And did it come because, I mean, from their personalities, but they came from a winemaking family or they? No, 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 no. Because at the time, the winemaking, my grand-grandfather was making wine, but for family consumption it wasn't a big it wasn't a business yeah. and my grandfather came to the wine quite late in his life so there was very good wine at the table but it wasn't all made in Regagliali and Regagliali has not started had not started his career as a wine place okay. this was wheat this was a wheat center it's interesting that that whatever confluence of factors made them so uh, passionate about it now, however many generations later. It continues. While learning about all of this sweeping and romantic family history, we also got in the kitchen with Fabrizia to cook a remarkable lunch. But first, we baked the dessert, a cassata infornata, with a short crust exterior and a sweet, funky filling made from the local sheep's milk ricotta mixed with torn sponge cake. 
Think of it as a cake stuffed with another cake. In Sicily, of course, this isn't a newfangled style. It's an idea that's more than 500 years old. It's a cake stuffed with ricotta cream. Oh, okay. And I'm going to coat it. Yes, I'll show you. I'm going uh, to okay. coat it with, uh, uh, with uh, pieces of the sponge cake ah, so that okay. the moisture of the ricotta doesn't affect the dough. I'm coating my spring foam with the, with the dough that has been rolled out. Okay, to finish, I'm, and I'm going to crumble down the sponge cake. The sponge cake is made only with eggs, sugar, and, see, and a little bit of flour. There's no yeast in it, and it's important that it, you have to beat the eggs really, really hard. So now I'm taking off bits of the sponge cake, and I'm going to crumble it, and this will avoid the moisture of the ricotta to affect the, the crust, the dough. Not super typically, but it's a sponge cake is extremely used in Sicilian. As uh, a kind of as a, piece as of a, something else si, sometimes? Si. Not just as a cake. Yeah. Uh, pan di Spagna, it's called, uh, in, in Italian, it's called um, Spanish cake. And uh, you can find it in the recipe, not exactly like this, but with similarities of the 15, 14th century, oh, wow. it's okay. very old. And it was used for soups, it was used for a lot of stuff because it's a base. That's because more chic. <laughs> Do you want to meet people like Fabrizia, learn their traditions, make this incredible cake within another cake? I've got a program for you. I want to tell you a little bit about SALT. SALT is an acronym for Sea and Land Taste. That's the name of Silver Sea's new immersive culinary program. I'm not just the voice of this podcast, I'm also SALT's director. SALT is all about connecting guests with the food and drink culture of the places they visit. There's a new restaurant and bar focused on changing regional menus, and there's our first ever SALT Lab, a dedicated space for engaging lectures and hands-on cooking lessons. There's also the all-new customized culinary shore excursions, where guests will meet chefs and producers like the ones we talked to on this show. Silver Sea is connecting its guests to the taste and traditions of the world like never before. Salt launches soon on Silver Sea's newest ship, Silver Moon. Hope to see you aboard and check out Salt at www.silversea.com slash podcasts. While the cassata baked in the oven, Fabrizia poured sparkling wine and set out plates of marinated vegetables. Artichokes, zucchini, tuna stuffed into these perfect little peppers. We sat in Casavecchia's sunlit courtyard, laundry dried on a clothesline, beautifully patterned textiles waving in the breeze like flags. Machia the dachshund strutted around, asserting her privilege. And Fabrizia continued to tell us the story of this captivating place and how its evolution parallels her own. Food was a big thing in my family and uh, and my mother said well why not huh? and so she started restoring this house and she started she just uh, um, started traveling at the time there were these uh, IACP these big things food uh, meetings where and you know at the time that was late 80s not everyone was involved in food and so she started uh, at the beginning, actually, Mario, the chef, was part of the whole plan. 
he was an instructor or he was sort yeah, of Yeah, kind of instructor yeah. because exactly that's the word. And, uh, and uh, after a couple of lessons where poor Americans were gently asking, but how much salt are you using? Well, what's needed? That was the answer <laughs> after the third time. My mother said, okay. And, um, and so she carried on the school and it was very successful because nobody knew about Sicily except for the godfather. She was, she spoke beautiful English, she was very, very nice and, and so people started coming and that's how it, it all started becoming. It was, it was very different than what it is now. A, because the context was very different. People that were interested in food were uh, travelers, wealthy travelers, Italian-Americans that wanted to go back to their roots, and so it was a, a minority. Now, really, everyone is, has something to do with food. And she was absolutely, I mean, a pioneer and a visionary in the fact that she was really interested in what uh, the people here were cooking. Uh, so it wasn't anymore the Mont Sous Cuisine, this kind of Frenchish, Sicilian Frenchish style of cooking, but it was more the wild greens, it was more everything that the, the land produced. So tell me, how, how did you end up here? Because you yeah, I moved was, away um, for a while. I was a, I'm an art historian and I was uh, curating two museums. So I had a whole career as an art historian and finally I got this, um, I was called to curate these two museums in the north of Italy, in Feltre. Fabrizio worked in museums and as a curator for 25 years. Near the Dolomites? Or is it yes, near okay. the Dolomites, near Belluno, above Venice, an hour and a half from Venice, let's say, in Veneto beautiful little town and um, I worked there for five and a half years and then and then I, I they, the administration changed they did a sort of application that was a bit tricky and I lost my job and um, the secretary of the mayor won my my position oh, no. see but that's very <laughs> Italian anyway <laughs> so I found myself without a job uh, I moved to Rome because at the time the father of my kids was living there and I applied to several other jobs in my, my field. I had a very qualified CV, so it was difficult. It was very difficult. And my mother was pressing on her side to come back, to, do, to follow her, to do stuff with her. Fabrizia came back here in 2006 and worked alongside her mother until her death in 2010. Did you ever think you'd come back to Sicily? No, no, I really was not. Keen. Because it felt small, or it felt like no, but you just know, where you grew up. You need to get away from. Yeah, or? I needed to get away. I, you know, we're a big family. Um, uh, if you want to be an individual and you have a name that is has a certain weight, you never know if it's you or the family and this kind of stuff. So I wasn't. I wasn't. I wanted to do my own stuff. And, um, and that was very useful because I don't think I would, I could be here if I didn't have this kind of distance, which was a long time because I left when I was 18 and I came back when I was 42. So it was a good lifetime. Yeah. And uh, so I started traveling. I said, okay, mommy, I'll help you with your travels and, uh, and see how, what it looks like. And, and so we went, uh, we did incredible trips, I must say, because we went to America, of course, to, to meet her friends. We went to England, we went to Malta, we went to 
India. And then gradually my mother was definitely not, not feeling good. And she was diagnosed with Parkinson and dementia. And so she was not herself anymore. And so um, I took over, I mean, very gently because you know how these illnesses are, they, they're not all of a sudden. Right. So it was gradual. And was she encouraging you to take over? Ah, uh, but that was very mixed because my mother was very bossy. She was difficult and um, she's, she always expected more from me. I was never enough and, and, and so it was difficult. It wasn't easy. Yeah. And also there was this idea sometimes it, as if I was stealing her job or wanting to to be kind of protagonist and Take set the her aside. A yeah, bit. you know. And uh, so that was not easy. It wasn't. I, I'm sure she was happy inside of herself because yeah. she was never expecting that I would come back. Were you surprised at, at, at being um, no not just lured back, but really diving into it? And I wasn't surprised. I was completely emotional. Really. See, because it you weren't expecting. Because I wasn't. You? I had forgotten. And you know, when you leave a place that you, I, I loved. I loved it here. I mean, I wasn't running away from something dreadful. It's gorgeous. Uh, you don't. You don't. To in order to do this, you rip yourself off from a love, and you kind of you don't want to indulge in the suffering. And I realized how uh, violent and how much strength I had to use on myself to get off of all this yeah to spend 20 years See, away but you don't realize it till you come back yes and then you feel exactly. it it's interesting that food can be this not See. a way into something in a way to reconnect with a place and to, to feel those emotions about it or to channel those emotions about See, food is an incredible uh, to tool. To I just wrote a book in Italian, unfortunately, on this, on how food connects and disconnects mm. at the same time. It's an incredible tool. How does it disconnect? I you? bet uh, food uh, was uh, in many ways a way uh, I would not eat mm. what my mother would prepare right, or right. I would mumble that it wasn't what I wanted or... But you're saying certain like, people don't eat uh, seafood because it reminds them of the dangers of the sea or they don't eat certain yeah, plants because exactly. it reminds them of hardship. Or yeah, exactly. That's right. So you're, exactly. you're breaking with where you come from in a way, whether from high, high or low. Or Connecting a and, or, and, or breaking. Yeah. Yes, it's, uh, I mean, as I said, food has been always extremely import important in our family. So food has been a, a great tool to put us together around the table, to quarrel, to love each other. And my grandmother would um, organize, uh, when we were invited, uh, something you liked for each of us. Mm. Or she would uh, ship, when I was living out, out of Sicily in the north, uh, she would ship me uh, tomato sauce, uh, oregano, all sorts of things. It's a way of keeping yeah. you tight, yeah. no? And we had this uh, little truck that would come once a year and bring all the good stuff. Really? See? 
to the north? Yes. Wow. But we were, it was several cousins that were <laughs> with had which had this street. But I was the one who distributed. Wow. So there was big bargain. You give me a tuna and I give you tomato <laughs> sauce. No, I feel very lucky. I feel very lucky, really. And and uh, and uh, we went to the excess that when all these things. Uh, I don't know if you've seen in Regaliali in Casa Grandi in the main house when you look at the main house from the court courtyard and there is a little balcony with a net echo that was the refrigerator of mario <laughs> at the time <laughs> so you would have these birds from hunting ca hanging there or cases of things and these cases they came from here of course but also friends that had a specific orange or a specific artichokes would come and so you would have on the table ah these are the the artichokes of giuseppe ah these wow. are the oranges of gaetano and it was there was this you know preciousness yeah yeah of every single thing and this is really ignored today it's when you have people and you're saying that the guests are are the students are from all over. Do, they, do you think that they, can you see what they take away? I mean, in kind of any big picture ideas of Sicily or ideas of this place that they, that they leave with? Well, I think, as I said, is the diversity probably, the range of flavors, how simple it can be right. and how delicious, especially for Americans that always have this need of uh, adding, yeah. adding, adding. And um, while here things are, you take off more than adding. Uh, my, gran my father was brought up on this Monsou French cuisine, international style cuisine, and obviously was not too happy with my mother going back to this roots. Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, we used to have very plain dish of pasta with wild greens on top and a drizzle of olive oil, really, really simple. And my grandfather, my father would come next to me and whisper, do you think, do you think that's enough? <laughs> <laughs> do you think you have enough of this? And did he come around eventually to see he the beauty did, of it? He did, he did. He was a very knowledgeable man and uh, an historian. And so people were really delighted, very gentleman-like. He's in, in the kitchen with his tie and very... Mm. And uh, and people were yeah they 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 were delighted to listen to him. I remember interviewing a, a Italian tailor at, um, at Brioni, and, and they were talking about to to pass the test. The students who come up they have to make a white suit because you can see every flaw, and ah. it. it's just super super ah. simple or a white jacket. Um, but just the idea that if you just have greens and a bit of olive oil, yes. the greens have to be amazing. Exactly, the olive oil has to be perfect. Exactly. There's something very nice about that, that side of food too. Yes. Even if you enjoy the... Yeah, the sophistication, the, yeah. the cuisine. I mean, this is really not cuisine. It's something else. Sustenance. It's, it is. It's culture too. It really is. No, I mean, actually, it's way. culture, yeah. but I feel that cuisine... I think this is also one of the reasons why French cooking is so has been so important because it sets uh, a standard, it sets a technique, a technique can be taught, while to do a simple plate of pasta with wild greens, it's a different culture. Right. You need to know which greens pick, 
how to do the olive right. oil, how much to put. It's not a technique, but it's culture. Right. It's also, I imagine, the the context of the, if you're, if it's a court cuisine, there, there's there are resources to write this down to keep a history of the family recipes. If you're a family just getting by, no one's writing down the no. recipe. You're passing it on to your no, son or daughter, course. but you're you're not writing fancy cookbooks. The idea of simplicity here is really about appreciating the value and range of a single ingredient. Seeing a thing for everything that it is and everything that it can be. And then knowing how one simple thing behaves when introduced to another. Understanding that calculus is part of Fabrizia's genius. She expressed it in the pasta she made us for lunch. This is called pasta con i broccoli arriminati, which means pasta with stirred broccoli. Broccoli for us is cauliflower. That's confused. Is that just meant to confuse Americans or just yes. to throw them off the scent? We love confusing Americans. Good, good. The dish is also called pasta cavolfiore, uvetta e pinoli. Pinoli are pine nuts, uvetta are currants. There's also cauliflower, anchovy, red onion, white wine, breadcrumbs with cinnamon. One of the most interesting ingredients is the estrato, a kind of Sicilian tomato paste made intense by the sun. Tomato paste is definitely the caviar of Sicily. We make it here in the courtyard. It's a big festival and it's, uh, besides being divinely delicious, it's uh, amazingly beautiful. It dries in the sun, it takes a week and it's a uh, labor we make with all the girls and the people who come and do this workshop participate, which is for me the most important part of the whole thing, because as you said before, it's not just learning a recipe, it's being part and safeguarding a patrimony that otherwise it would be lost. So your mother had a very clear vision of, of, of the, the life and beyond the food, just sort of the life she was presenting here um, and a lot of resolve to kind of make this happen and getting to know you briefly, it's clear that you also have uh, a lot of resolve and, and, and a sort of sense of, of what you're presenting here. What, what's the vision for this place going forward? My mother had this vision and uh, I don't know if I should, I, I don't know if we should speak of a vision. I don't know exactly what a vision is. What I can say is that she uh, was so successful because she was what she wanted to be, right. okay? She, there was no uh, kind of uh, space in between what she was and what she was acting and sharing and, and, and being with people. I have the same stuff. <laughs> I'm lucky enough to have the same thing. I don't think it's, I don't, I, I don't know if, it's, if you call it a vision. I think it's a great privilege to be able to be where you want to be, live the life you want to li live, have, share the interests you want to share. Besides this, uh, I would like this place to be a hub, a hub of interest, a hub of research, a hub of uh, sharing this bounty that you had the, the opportunity to live in these days. Uh, I think, uh, as I said before, Sicily and possibly this place could be a kind of a laboratory where people can experiment what being close to nature, being close to food, being close, connected to where the food comes from, can, they can experiment. And, uh, and this is what I see in the future since we're getting towards a future that is more and more distant from all of this, maybe this place can be a good, a good um, gym 
place to exercise this kind of proximity. Yeah, we, I think we need it more and more and we, yeah. see, we seek it more and more. It's also nice just that it's this idea that it's, you're not just here as a guest, just to learn exactly what happens here. You're here to be curious and to look at you know, the food of the Mediterranean in general or look at how you might take some lessons from here and apply it to your food landscape at home. I think that's a very generous approach too, that it's not just, you know, come here and, and, and copy what we yeah, do exactly. or write it down yeah. or, or, you know, duplicate it or, or, or respect it. It's, it's see it in, in, in action and it's obviously a very living place. It's, it's totally participatory. I mean, uh, we all are aware that you can't reproduce our tomato sauce in New York and nobody wants that. But if you taste a, a good tomato sauce, then you have a different view on your own tomatoes and your own life in New York. I'm pretty sure about that. It's like psychotherapy. In psychotherapy, it's not that you're listening to a guy telling you what you are or what you've lived or this. You are living again the experience that you missed the first time. Otherwise, there's no psychotherapy. Right. And this is a bit what I dream people should get from here. So they are living something that we all have in our genes. Because as you said before, there's something extremely exciting to go and pick from the tree a fig and eat it straight away. And why is this excitement still there since nobody goes and picks a fig? It is there because, thanks God, we're made also of this and we are human beings as probably Adam and Eve, not very different. At the end, we all want the same things. We're all comfortable in the same ways. Yeah. That was the one and only Fabrizia Lanza. You can learn more about Fabrizia's work, about visiting the cooking school at Casa Vecchia, and about her intensive Cook the Farm program at www.anatascalanza.com. Follow Fabrizia on Instagram at Fabrizia Lanza, and follow the school at Anatascalanza for programming news, including online cooking lessons. We'll be back next time with more Salt Lab adventures. Salt Lab Radio is produced for Silver Sea Cruises by Rob Corso, Casey Kahn, and Howie Kahn at Freetime Media. Music by John Palmer. Special thanks to Fabrizia Lanza, Hannah Garrison, Anna Feldman, Alicia Totsi, Angela Cotton, Alessandro Grassi, Anissa Halu, Mary Taylor Samedi, Tom Camuso, Barbara Muckerman, Barbara Beefy, Elena Moriando, Sheila Donnelly, and Evan Block. And I'm your host, Adam Sachs. Salt Lab Radio is brought to you by Silver Sea Cruises. With more than a thousand destinations over seven continents, including exclusive culinary adventures on the all-new Silver Moon, Silver Sea travels deeper.